Our reading from God's Word this morning is taken from the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus and chapter 11. Exodus and chapter 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people. And let every man borrow of his neighbour, and every woman of her neighbour, jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts, and there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these thy servants shall come down unto me, and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people that follow thee, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that, thy, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. May the Lord bless to us that portion of his own uh, precious word. And let us come... We'd like us to consider together this morning some words that we read from the book of Exodus and chapter 11. And in the very last verse of that chapter, in verse 10, we read these words. And Moses and Aaron 
did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Now this verse before us records, in summary, the response of Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, to the message of God declared to him by God's servants Moses and Aaron. A message that had been authenticated and emphasised by way of nine plagues which the Lord had brought upon the land of Egypt. Now the Lord was about to unleash a tenth and final plague upon Egypt. A plague so severe and so demonstrably from the Lord that Pharaoh would finally relent and obey the Lord's instruction to let his people go. Indeed, so powerful would be the effect of that last plague. So powerful would that be that Pharaoh did not merely let the people of Israel go, but he sent them forth out of the land. He was so eager that they should go. We know, of course, that subsequently, yet again, Pharaoh would harden his heart and lead his armies in pursuit of the children of Israel, though this would be to their own destruction. The episode of the ten plagues of Egypt is recorded over six chapters in this book of Exodus, beginning at the seventh chapter and going on through to chapter 12. It has much to teach us, but our purpose in taking uh, an overview of these things this morning is to see how Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, typifies wicked men in general and particularly in their reactions when they hear the voice of the Lord and particularly when his message to them is accompanied by or indeed at times takes the form of mighty acts of divine power. Let us note firstly, however, that this series of messages accompanied by these great and terrible signs and wonders from the Lord was not the first time that Pharaoh had heard the Lord's message to him. In the first instance, Moses and Aaron were instructed to proclaim the word of God to Pharaoh. We first read of this back in chapter 6 of Exodus. And reading from verse 28 and onwards there, we read, And it came to pass, on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt, 
that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. But Moses feels unequal to the task, and he responds to the Lord in verse 30 of that chapter. He says, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? And the Lord then shows Moses that Pharaoh will have respect to him and will listen to what he says. But nevertheless, Aaron, his brother, will be his help and the mouthpiece by which Pharaoh will hear the word of the Lord. So in chapter 7 of Exodus and verse 1, there we read, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh. Thus the order of things is that the Lord gives his message to Moses, who passes it to Aaron, who in turn proclaims it to Pharaoh. Thus, the first means by which the Lord speaks to Pharaoh is by the faithful proclamation of his word. In summary, that message is very simple. We have it again in chapter 7 and verse 2 that he send the children of Israel out of his land. But the Lord knows, indeed he has decreed it, for he is sovereign over all things, that Pharaoh will not take heed of this command. The Lord will harden his heart, such that he will refuse to let his people go. Sadly, this is the case with many who sit under the faithful proclamation of God's word. We now have God's word in writing in the scriptures. And he also he raises up faithful men in these days who, who proclaim it to all who will listen. But men's hearts are hardened against it. Faithful ministers urge men to turn from their wicked ways, which are an offence to God, to repent and to look to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith that they might find salvation in him. But also in the broader sense, these faithful men, why they seek to urge men in general and society to depart from their wickedness, which is bringing the judgment of God upon mankind that men have refused to hear God's warnings proclaimed by his ministers and thus has us been the case many times over in history oh the Lord then speaks in other ways secondly and again before the ten plagues are unleashed the Lord, clearly knowing what would happen, tells Moses 
that when Pharaoh demands a miracle to be performed, inference being that this would authenticate the message which they delivered, Aaron was to cast down his rod before Pharaoh and it would turn into a serpent. This was done. Pharaoh called his own wise men and sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt also cast down their rods, which also turned into serpents. Though Aaron's serpent swallowed the others up. This, it seems, was insufficient to persuade Pharaoh that he should obey the Lord's message and let the people of Israel go. And again, Pharaoh typifies many who, when they hear the word of God proclaimed, why they demand, they demand some sign, ostensibly to persuade them of the truth of it. But in truth, such is the hardness of their heart that no sign will persuade them. And even if they see such a sign, why, they will point to others who can or who claim to be able uh, to perform similar signs. These days, the true preaching of God's word is not accompanied by signs and wonders. Save the miracle of the new birth in those that the Lord has determined to save by his grace. But then thirdly, we come to the plagues by which the Lord speaks to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. In addition to his spoken word through Moses and Aaron. Some of you may well know that the plagues inflicted upon Egypt were deeply significant. In that they were a direct assault upon aspects of the Egyptians' idolatrous religion. It isn't our purpose this morning to look at this in detail, but for example, the first plague turns the water of the Nile to blood. And the Nile was a major object of worship for the Egyptians. The second plague is of frogs. Again, one of the Egyptian deities had a frog's head. The second, the third and the fourth plagues were brought forth from water, that is the frogs, from the earth, that is lice, and from the air, that is flies. Water, earth and air all being objects of veneration to the Egyptians. Incidentally, there was a fly god which became known in the Hebrew language as Baal-zebub. We well know uh, that name from the scriptures. The significance of all this would of course not be lost upon Pharaoh and his people. And we can perhaps trace it all back to Pharaoh's first response to the word of God through Moses and Aaron, who in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1 declared, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, 
that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Pharaoh's response there was, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Thus by all these signs, these uh, plagues, the, the Lord is showing his absolute supremacy by confounding the false gods and every aspect of Egypt's religion. Now the first two of these plagues differ from the others in that they are both emulated by the magicians of Egypt. First we have the plague of blood, where an air of Egypt and they add into blood. And then we have the plague of frogs, where Aaron stretches his rod over the waters of Egypt and frogs come up all across the land. By way of these plagues, the Lord is clearly speaking, showing his ears. In Exodus 7, verse 17, before inflicting blood, the Lord says, through his hands, thus saith the Lord, in this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river and they shall be turned to blood. These things are therefore sent from the Lord to declare who he is and thus his absolute right to the obedience of those that he commands. But Pharaoh's response, rather than submission and obedience, is to get his own magicians to emulate these signs and thus to suggest that such signs are not necessarily from the hand of God. Again, so it is with men. When God clearly makes himself known and shows his wrath towards sinful man by way of unmistakable signs, disrupting the normal order of things, all man's, so, man's response so often is not to submit to God, not to repent, but to seek any explanation, however implausible, for these things. Anything which will excuse him from acknowledging the hand of God. It's worth noting also that the magicians of Egypt were able in some way to emulate and to imitate these two signs. But they were not able, which would have shown real power, to stop the plague of blood, to stop the plague of frogs, which the Lord had initiated. Both ran their course until the Lord himself ended them. The plague of blood after seven days, the plague of frogs when Moses entreated the Lord at Pharaoh's request. Notice also that Pharaoh appears to relent 
in that he promises to let the people of Israel go if Moses will indeed entreat the Lord to take away the frogs. But as soon as the frogs are gone, why his heart is hardened again. Again we see actions typical of men who are suffering under the hand of God's judgment. Why they make promises that if the Lord will have mercy and if he will lift the curse from them, then they'll obey him. Once the curse is lifted, why they renege on their promise and return to their evil ways. Well then the following seven plagues have more and more effect upon the Egyptians. As we have the plague of lice, this being the first sign which the magicians of Egypt could not emulate. Such that they themselves indeed declare to Pharaoh, Exodus 8 verse 19, this is the finger of God. But yet still we read, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. But now, by now, no other explanation could be found. This could only be the Lord, the God of Israel. The one true God who was speaking through Moses and Aaron and by signs and wonders. Pharaoh now had no other explanation. He could no longer deny who was commanding him to let the people go. But still... He refused to obey. Again, this is so like many who are brought to the point where they cannot deny God's plain revelation of himself. But yet still they set their hearts against him and refuse to obey his voice. And then comes the plague of flies. A swarm of flies which corrupts the whole land. Except for Goshen. Goshen, where the people of Israel were. It is then that we hear of a period of negotiation where Pharaoh begins seemingly to bend a little. Firstly, he purposes that the, proposes that the Israelites make their sacrifices and worship the Lord where they are in Egypt. Moses points out that this would greatly offend the Egyptians. After all, to sacrifice a bull would be an offence to their own god, Apis. Moses declares that they must go three days' journey into the wilderness. Pharaoh then purposes a compromise of perhaps a shorter journey into the wilderness. Moses prays to the Lord. And the flies are removed. But immediately then Pharaoh reneges of his promise and refuses to let the people go. Again Pharaoh typifies those who when in times of affliction take heed to the voice of the Lord. Even to the point of bargaining as it were with the Lord. Promising that oh if he would only lift his affliction then they will turn unto him. Yet as soon as that affliction is past, they conveniently forget their part of the bargain and harden their hearts again. 
Thus far, the plagues have been something of an irritation, and a disruption to the life of the Egyptians. But they now begin to affect them more seriously. The Lord next afflicts them with a moraine or a plague of cattle which causes all the cattle of Egypt to die. Though again, those of the Israelites were spared. But even this has no effect upon Pharaoh's heart. Then next is a plague of boils and for the first time the Egyptians are affected in their own bodies with these things. And this is followed by a plague of hail. Pharaoh and the Egyptians were warned of this such that those who took heed could bring in their cattle and their servants from the field. Those who ignored the warning were smitten by hail and fire along with their servants, their cattle and their crops. Yet again, Pharaoh appears to be affected in that he declares, in, this is in Exodus 9 verse 27, I've sinned this time, the Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. And thus he pleads with Moses to seek the Lord that he might bring the hail and the thunder to an end. Moses does this and the hail is stopped. But he knows Pharaoh's heart and he declares, says Exodus 9 verse 30, As for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord. Now the hail had destroyed the flax and the barley crops, but the wheat and the rye were spared for they had not yet grown. However, they were not spared for long, for the next plague was one of locusts which destroyed the remaining crops and all the vegetation in Egypt. This moves Pharaoh to, to call for Moses and Aaron and to cry, Exodus 10 verse 16, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only, this once, and entreat the Lord your God, that he may take away from me this death only. Again, Moses entreats the Lord. Again, the plague is lifted. And again, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. There's no true repentance here, but only a fervent desire that this latest plague would be taken away. And as is the case with many, an unrepentant sinner. Pharaoh will not beseech the Lord himself, but he desires Moses to intercede on his behalf. Many who have no desire to come before God themselves will yet beseech his people to entreat him on their behalf. Even after all these trials, with his land destroyed, his livestock and his crops wiped out, still Pharaoh will not give in to the Lord's demands to let his people go. And the Lord then brings a plague of darkness upon the land of Egypt, accepting the dwellings of the Israelites. This comes down for three days. Such was this darkness that it could be felt. 
and it prevented the Egyptians from leaving their dwellings or even seeing one another. Again, Pharaoh tries to make some compromise to allow God's people to go out into the desert, but to leave their livestock behind. Cause was needed for sacrifices to the Lord. Pharaoh then declares that Moses will die again. And there comes upon many sinners that they utterly refuse to meet at all with those who seek to proclaim God's word to them. Even to the point of persecuting them and worse. But the Lord visited the land of Egypt with one more plague. The most devastating, the plague of the spawn, wherein the firstborn of every man and beast of Egypt died. As we read in Exodus 12 and verse 29, and it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. Finally, Pharaoh was moved not only to let the people of Israel go, but to send them out in haste, lest the Lord should visit Egypt again with such terrible afflictions. We know, of course, that even after this, Pharaoh had another change of heart and pursued Israel to attempt to uh, bring them back to prevent their departure. But Israel, but sorry, Pharaoh and his hosts were destroyed in the Red Sea. Throughout history, men have behaved like Pharaoh, refusing to hear God's voice, calling them to repentance for the wickedness of their ways. Now you may argue that Pharaoh had no choice in the matter, for we read time and time again that it was the Lord who hardened his heart. Nevertheless, we have to say that Pharaoh was still culpable for his actions. He did not act against his own will. And the Lord used this whole event to demonstrate his own sovereignty as the one true God whose will cannot be thwarted and to whom all men owe subjection. And obedience. There are many examples in history where the Lord has used similar means to make himself known and to leave men with no excuse if they will not repent and turn to him. For instance, in the latter part of the 17th century in this land, in England, there was a great departure from the Lord. Charles II and his court and much of the, of the nation as a whole lived debauched lives. They were given over to hedonism 
the pursuit of carnal pleasure. The Puritans sought to stand against these things and to faithfully proclaim the word of God. But such was the determination not to hear these things that the Puritan ministers were put out of the Church of England in 1662. And the city of London was particularly full of sinful excess in those days. However, in 1665, London was visited with the Black Death. The Puritans clearly recognised this as being of God. We see it in their preaching, we see it in their writings. The result was that many people actually left London to escape the plague, including those unfaithful ministers that had been put in the pulpits that the Puritans formerly inhabited. This gave opportunity to those faithful Puritan ministers to re-enter the pulpits of London and to declare the Lord's word. However, when the plague ended, those who had fled returned. And they returned to the same vices that had brought God's judgment upon the city. The Lord then in the following year, 1666, visited the city with the great fire of London. Again, the Puritans were quite clear on this. The Lord had made known his judgment through the preaching of his word. Then again through the plague, the black death. And then again by the fire. Now we are living in days when men have utterly rejected God's word as it has been proclaimed by faithful men. Not only has the gospel been rejected, but almost every aspect of God's moral law has been overturned. Laws have been enacted that are utterly contrary and indeed the very inverse of the law of God. Those who seek to stand for the cause of God and truth are ridiculed, detested, arrested, put out of or barred from office. It ought not to surprise us then that in these latter days God has visited us with another plague. Sadly yet again for the most part men have refused to acknowledge this. And have refused to cast themselves upon him and to plead for his mercy. Men have turned to science and to, and to medicine and to all manner of measures to try and control and to ultimately eliminate the virus that has been amongst us these last few years. Though in this country the virus appears to be abating for the time being. We know that it is still by no means eradicated. Only the Lord himself can bring an end to these things. And we know that he will only do so 
when he has accomplished his purposes in it. Oh, that man would not continue, men would not continue to harden their hearts against the Lord. Oh, that men might say that they have offended their maker and their God by their evil ways. Oh, that there might be a great repentance throughout this world, but especially in this land. Oh, that men would call upon the Lord such that in his wrath he would remember mercy. Oh, that the Lord would indeed come in and restore the honour of his name in this land and throughout this world. Oh, that men might hear his voice and obey. Amen.